This is the Bridges class for July 24th, 2022. We're going to read this morning, and I'm going to read too, but I'm going to need to get a Bible. And if you have a Bible or you pull it up on your phone, we're reading the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi. Unless you're an Italian from Brooklyn, you look for Malachi. But this is Malachi. I believe that's the proper pronunciation. Malachi chapter 1 is where we're going to read. And I was thinking, well, should we pray first or read the scriptures first? We might have to do both. But let's start off with a, a word of prayer. We always want to have a... Mitchell used a, a, an illustration a couple of months ago in something that he was reading about a heart with ears. And I really like that. That was, uh, you know, it's, it, it's one thing to have ears to hear, and that's something that most people give no thought to at all. But Jesus mentioned it all the time. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to have a heart with ears is even better. And that is what I want to pray for us to have. Heavenly Father, help us to be in a place of a teachable spirit, Lord, that we can hear your word with reverence and respect, honor what you tell us, Lord, and learn what we need to learn, apply it in our lives that we might be pleasing in your sight. Lord, I pray we ask you this all for the glory of your coming kingdom. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're still talking about redeeming the time to uh, make the most out of whatever time we have left. And this would be a study on acceptable sacrifice. And here's the one phrase that I would stick to this lesson today. God deserves our best. And that's just a fact. He deserves our best. And... Uh, as we are going to read and hear from the inspired prophet Malachi, uh, people don't always uh, do that. And it's just one of the things about us. Hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us in the first chapter of Malachi. Verse 6, if you happen to have the same Bible that I have, it's page 958. Otherwise, just find Matthew and Backpedal a couple of pages, and Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Now, we're going to skip the introduction and just start reading in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 1. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you offer sacrifice lame or diseased, when you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God 
to be gracious, to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Well, there you go. Uh, you know, the, we, we seem to have an attitude... And I think that it's, it's not only because of the day and age in which we live, but because of where we are in the history of the church. You know, we, uh, we love the fact that Jesus paid it all. And we read uh, stuff like this in the Old Testament. And uh, maybe not everybody thinks like this, but I sure have as I've studied the Bible for the last 45 years of my life. I would read through these nitpicking laws and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and stuff like this, and, I, and automatically I jump right past all this, past Calvary to where we are now, and say, man, am I glad we don't have to mess with that? Am I glad we don't have to be butchering animals in church? And uh, uh, it was quite a mess. I, I'll, I'll tell you what, it, was, uh, it, it must have been really something. I still think, and if... This may not be, have any truth to it at all, but I still think that in heaven we'll be able to see the actual things that we've uh, read and studied in the Bible. We'll be able to see what a sacrifice was like. We'll see Noah building the ark. I want to see that whale spit Jonah out. The Bible says that he spit him out. You know, whales can't get that close to the coast. You know, they need some deep water. The Bible says he spit him out. I want to see that. <laughs> of course, I want to see the parting of the seas of the... Uh, all of the amazing things. Boy, if you think Cecil B. DeMille did a good job, wait till we see how God Almighty did it. Oh, well. But you may say, oh, we're not even going to be concerned. Well, maybe we won't, but I kind of think we will. I think God's going to have an IMAX. Boy, you talk about IMAX. It's going to be, <laughs> oh, I'm sure the Dolby's going to be upgraded and everything by the time we got there. It's going to be like nothing we've ever seen here. But that's just my imagination. So, as we turn our hearts to this uh, context with the uh, complaints of the Lord, or you may be saying, well, maybe it's just uh, Malachi complaining, and, and we just want to jump into the New Testament and say, well, Jesus paid it all. We enjoy, I think we, people in general, we enjoy not feeling accountable. We just want to get right to the fact Jesus paid it all, and we love to forget the second uh, clause in that song that says, all to him I owe. And uh, what we just read is God's attitude towards unfit offerings. And I got news for you. The Lord doesn't change. If he was fed up and disgusted with the way 
Old Testament rituals and sacrifices just became ho-hum and they just went through the motions. Why should we think that the Lord would be any different today with how he evaluates what we do? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, I'm, I'm not doing any sacrifice today. I know that, but we're going to get to the sacrifice that you are and the sacrifice that you offer uh, eventually here at the end of this. So, starting off in verse 6, we read uh, what is generally known as an axiom. A son honors his father and a servant his master. This is assumed to be true, but it isn't always the case. I mean, uh, we've heard of sons that do not honor their father. We know that there are servants that do not honor their masters. But Malachi starts off with this just to let us know this is the way it ought to be. And right from there, he goes into this rebuke where he says, uh, <laughs> if I'm your father, where's the honor that's due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me? You can tell that something is fixing to happen here, and it's going to be a rebuke. Not all uh, messages, especially from these prophets, are feel good, you know, uh, up with people. Something good is going to happen to you. <laughs> no, some, sometimes something bad is going to happen to you. And, you know, judgment begins in the house of God. I want to challenge you that uh, most of the narratives in the Old Testament have to do with God's people. And uh, even in the gospel, when Jesus came and walked among us, uh, he was much more fed up with the religious people. And it was the people that were in abject sin and horrible practices of their life that he showed much more compassion to. It was the people who were uh, career uh, religious people, the clergy, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, it was, uh, he really wasn't impressed with them. There's, there's something about our uh, taking God's grace for granted. And I'm going to tell you, it's, a, it's something that we should watch out for. Uh, now, we're still talking about redeeming the time. We're talking about making the most of whatever time we have left. And just let me check. Do I have one more next week or, or do you? Okay. All right. So we, we got one more next week. And then after that, we're going to have the missionary here. Okay, that's two weeks from today. Okay, I'm just checking with Dr. Skates so we know what we're doing. So, let's get back to the rebuke. <laughs> you still feel too good. <laughs> we need to whittle you down a little bit. And <laughs> there's nothing that'll whittle you down like a good exposure to an Old Testament prophet who's letting you know, I am the Lord, I change not. And uh, we're going to notice how many times uh, there's a couple of things that are repeated here. So, back to this first statement. A son honors his father, a servant his master. The Lord says you're not doing that. Of the Ten Commandments, the first four we know are about our relationship with the Lord, and from five to ten, they're about our relationship with our fellow men. But the first one is about our relationship with our parents. That first commandment says, you do this, that your days will be long in the land. And uh, it's been said, and I'm quoting... Uh, uh, one of the professors at Dallas Seminary, I heard him preach a message on this once, and he said, uh, when people don't respect parents, neither will they respect God or people, and uh, especially civil servants. Maybe you've noticed. There it is. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear it. No, that's okay. Don't be sorry. <laughs> I'm just glad I didn't play Elvis Blue Suede Shoes or something. That's, <laughs> that's good. You are in the right spot. And that's such a pleasant voice. 
<laughs> I'd rather listen to her than me. <laughs> so it is a commandment, and all the commandments of God should be taken seriously. But as you know, I mean, uh, uh, worldlings, heathens, people that we rub shoulders with, they don't care much about what the word of the Lord says. And we should certainly be uh, uh, tuned in because we're going to give account. And it's serious business. And if judgment does, and judgment does begin in the house of God, uh, certainly we should want to avoid any resemblance of anything that we see happening here. So this message is for the church. God is our father. And the question is, well, where is our honor to him? Malachi rebuked these priests because they despised his name. They were indifferent. You know what really happened? They got burned out in their job. Could you imagine, I mean, these priests, they were butchers, really. And I don't mean that euphemistically. I mean, they were literal butchers. And if you read in your Old Testament, you will find that there's not a lot of uh, uh, recordings or, or evidence that anybody ever retired except for priests. And they retired at 50 years of age. That's pretty young. But uh, they were worn out. They had to be worn out. I mean, that's, that's hard work. Uh, I had one of my doctors tell me I wore myself out. I didn't know that I was doing it. That's the thing when you're young, you know, you, you don't know how you're wearing out your joints and your cartilage and all the other things that connect the shin bone to the knee bone and all the other stuff. But, but it eventually has wear and tear and then he, and they wear out. Well, these priests were no different. And somewhere, probably before their retirement, they just showed up at the temple and said, oh, you gotta butcher another lamb. I mean, a, a one-year-old lamb was full grown. Could you imagine what a what a calf or a bull would wait when they had a, get, you know, I'm, I'm sure they had the young buck priests in training. Hey, come here, boy, help me pick this up. You know, but they throw them on the altar and they'd butcher them and offer it unto the Lord. And they were very particular. God in his rules and regulations was very particular. Don't you be offering me some lame, sick, half dead offering. That's really not a sacrifice. You know, just, I'm, just, I'm just getting used to this. This, as I was preparing for this, it reminded me, you know, in small town country churches, like the one I used to be at, uh, people who were farmer types would uh, bring offerings. Sometimes they'd bring us eggs, and sometimes they'd bring us a, a part of a hog that they just butchered. And uh, I heard of one guy who, was, who uh, said to his pastor, Pastor, we were going to bring you chicken, <laughs> but he got better. <laughs> so, <laughs> Stuff like that happens, you know. I mean, I got a half-dead chicken. He's hey, this is a good one. We'll we'll bring this to the church. Throw it at the preacher. He'll eat it. <laughs> he eats anything. <laughs> chicken chickens are the gospel bird. Did you know that? <laughs> I heard one time there was a guy who had a big old belly, and a guy said, "Move your beer belly." He said, "I'll have you know, I'm a preacher of the gospel." He said, "Well, then move your chicken coop." <laughs> so. <laughs> We eat a lot of chicken in the ministry. It is the gospel bird. I've eaten so much chicken, I sleep with my head under my wing. That's I, all the time. So, so these guys retired at age 50. Hard work wore them out with all the heavy lifting. And, uh, you know, in verse 8, he says, you know, what are you offering me? Blind, crippled, diseased? What if they offered it to the governor? Now, 
these Old Testament prophets and everything is so logical and it's laid out, if you just give it a little bit of thought, if you've ever read anything in the Old Testament and you say, I don't get that, read it again. <laughs> get a good study Bible. There's something in there for us to get all the time. And uh, this little question here, I mean, uh, who, if our governor, if you like our governor, but even if you didn't like our governor, if, if he was coming to your house, Garland, you'd put out a nice spread and uh, say, well, governor, we're glad you're here. You know, you're not going to, you know, give him a, a leftover oatmeal, you know, or, 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 you know, something that wouldn't be, you know, you're going to, you know, put out something nice. And it's the only reason this is mentioned here is because the Lord is saying, why is it that you would treat a political dignitary better than you treat me? Now, you still may be wondering, well, what does this have to do with me? You keep on wondering. We will eventually get there. This does have something to do with you. So, uh, we disrespect the Lord with offerings. And it's even mentioned here in the context we just read. And maybe you might have done this. We're not going to have you raise your hand. But uh, you ever get in a jam and say, oh, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll do this, that, or the other thing. And then after you get out of it, you kind of renege a little bit and say, well, I don't know if I need to be that carried away about it. <laughs> the Lord understands. <laughs> Maybe I'll just do this or I'll do that. And uh, the scriptures do tell us, you, you know, you're better off not vowing a vow than to vow it and not carry it out, not to keep that vow. But we say things off the cuff all the time. And uh, by our words, we're justified, and by our words, we're also condemned. So we don't take God's word or our, sacrifice, our personal sacrifices as seriously as we should. Now, you may have noticed as we're reading through this, three times we see a repetition. His name, my name, will be great among the nations. Three times in those few verses that we read. You know, whatever we do unto the Lord should be our best. What do people think? if they see us serving the Lord in a half-hearted fashion. And they will. They know whether you take your faith serious or not. You might be the only Bible some of these people read. They're looking at you. They're keeping an eye on you. They, uh, they talk to you. You know, they know what you think, what you believe. And, uh, well, let's jump into the important part. Uh, we don't offer sacrifices like the Old Testament. Well, so what? Well, I'm going to tell you so what. I'm going to tell you what Paul said, and it's in Romans chapter 12. Now, I was going to just read verse 1, but in preparation for this, I can't just start with verse 1 because the first word is therefore. And if you start reading with therefore and you don't look in the verses that precede it to find out what it's there for, you won't know. And remember, the chapter divisions, chapter and verse divisions were not inspired of five, six hundred years old, maybe at the most, when they finally put this one. You know, it, it's a whole lot better for me to say, turn to Romans chapter 12, than for me to say, why don't you find a, a Romans and ah, about two-thirds of the way through, uh, find that. It's a whole lot easier just to say chapter 12, verse 1. So we are going to start with verse 1, but first, let's back up and just read the doxology in chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? By the way, these are all assorted Old Testament quotations. 
Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Those of us who grew up with the King James may remember it says, this is your reasonable service. Either way, it's what is required from us as we serve the Lord. Uh, what prompts us to do our best is recognizing who he is. And I think under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when the Apostle Paul makes his shift into what we now have as chapter 12, it's right when he's wrapping up his context of uh, what is now chapter 11, and this is uh, commonly known as a doxology. I mean, it's just these words of praise, the depth of the riches, unsearchable, who's known, who is his counselor? I mean, God is awesome, and we take him for granted. And there's something about this doxology at the end of chapter 11 that rushes us right into the verse that says, you need to be careful of the way you serve God and how you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice is something that's kind of hard to uh, define. See, the Old Testament was easy. They got a lamb, they got a bull, they got a goat, they slit its throat, bled it out, put it on. The, the priest had specific ways to butcher it, things to remove, things to be included, put it on the fire. And we read repeatedly how the smell was pleasing unto the Lord. Now, I don't want to sound sacrilegious, but it just sounds like God likes barbecue. <laughs> it does sound like that. I mean, he loves the way fat hitting the fire smells. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be disrespectful in any way, but uh, aren't we the same way? I mean, did you ever drive by a Burger King just when the wind is blowing just right and they got that exhaust fan and you just, I mean, we're talking Burger King. It doesn't even have to be a high-class burger joint, but, uh, you know, a, a high-class barbecue joint, but those are even better. You know, you go past one of those and you, there's something about that fat heading the fire. And repeatedly in the Old Testament, that's a sweet savor. The Lord likes the way that smells. So, uh, and of course, from God's awesome, holy, so totally other perspective, there's something in that burning of that sacrifice. And if I could estimate or give a kind of sort of educated opinion, I would say he's interested in what that sacrifice cost us. That's, that's what makes it a sacrifice. If it doesn't cost you anything, well, it's really not a sacrifice. That's why we call it a sacrifice. You know, I have to sacrifice to do this. But uh, we, it's a human nature thing, part of our depraved, totally wicked heart and rotten nature that we have, we like to find easier ways to do stuff. And the thing about a New Testament living sacrifice is that we're still alive and we're always crawling off the altar. See, we may come to church and hear a moving uh, sermon and say, oh Lord, I, I really need to, I want to be all in. I want, I want to be all in. And we, in a figurative way, we put ourselves on the altar and say, Lord, just use me. Use me however you want. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Do what you want with me. And then uh, we go and eat, and we visit with our friends, and we find out what time the game starts. And before long, we, we, 
we don't think as seriously, as piously. We don't have those thoughts of dedication as much as we should. And by the way, the only reason I mention stuff like this is because this is what I've done. I'm not saying, that's you! You're the problem! No, one finger here, three fingers back this way. I know what I'm talking about. I've preached myself under conviction long enough. And, and, and actually, I'm not trying to preach you under conviction. But if, and O oh Lord grant this, that the Holy Spirit would touch our hearts and something in, this, something in these verses would grip us, that would only be a good thing. So, uh, just how we serve the Lord. Oh, by the way, there's one other repetition. He says, uh, my name will be great among the nations. Three times he mentions that. And uh, people look at the Lord by how we serve him. And we serve the Lord based on the utmost of sacrifices. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And another verse that we should remember when it comes to comparing the rituals of the Old Testament to what we have now, Jesus said, where much is given, much shall be required. Do you realize that those of us on this side of Calvary are more accountable for what we've been given than those that were on the other side. Now, I know the Lord has ways of perfect, His justice is absolutely perfect all the time, but we've been given so much more. Those people were looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice. We look back on it. We know it's already a done deal. And it's just our tendency to take stuff for granted and say, all right, that's good. Good service, been there, done that. Let's go to the house and just not take it too seriously. We find ourselves, even if you don't know it, we're crawling off the altar. There is one other reference, and I'm glad that I asked my friend J.K. about this. You know J.K.? He's a theologian, J.K. We, we could call him Dr. J.K. or maybe just Dr. K. Just don't call him Dr. J. <laughs> Any of you old enough to remember Dr. J? You remember who he was? He doesn't look like him. So, uh, Dr. J, uh, Dr. J.K. Uh, uh, because we visit a lot and we have, we have uh, theological confabs. We talk about, actually, he's the one. With the, I'm just looking to learn something from him, and I usually get a lot out of it. But he reminded me of a, a real good verse, a couple of verses in 2 Corinthians. And you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you if you can trust me that I'm actually reading out of the Bible, which I am, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. And uh, this is in a context where Paul is uh, describing us as ministers of the new covenant. And he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal pr procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, this is why we're keying off this. You know, the thing about sacrifices is they put off an aroma, and the Lord was pleased with that aroma. Now, we're not butchering cattle in church. You know, there's no smell of barbecue that comes up out of here, but there's something about us that puts off a sweet aroma. And I'm going to tell you when it's the most precious, when things are not going good for you. That's when it's really a sacrifice. You know, people go through hard things, and they say, ah, I don't feel like going to church today. That's when you need to come to church. And I have found, and I think you've found, if you ever got past that and said, you know, I don't feel like going, but I'm going to go anyway. And you're in church, you're going through something, maybe you're in horrible grief, you're turmoil, there's something going on in your family and your job, and yet you come to church and you hear that chorus, glory be to the Father, and you raise your hands and you praise God right in the middle of what you're going through. That's called a sacrifice of praise. 
You might have showed up in church saying, man, I don't feel like doing nothing today. Or I don't feel like doing anything. I just, I'm just not in the mood for it. But you come to church and there's something about being in communion with God's people and you begin to praise him right in the middle of a horrible thing that you're going through. It costs you something emotionally to offer up that praise, but you know God's worth it. That's pleasing in his sight. And the Lord understands if you stay home and you just want to do something else, he understands that. I'm not trying to make that easy for you. I'm just saying he understands. I'm not saying he's not going to smack you around some way, you know, figuratively speaking. But if he loves you, you're one of his children, he might chastise you. you know, and we know that whatever he allows us to go through, he loves us. So there's a couple of more verses here that are good about this aroma in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. All right, we just read verse 14, verse 15. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other we are an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Now this is all good stuff. You know, anytime we read a couple of verses, there's more in there that we have time to get to. So I'm just introducing it to you, and I hope that the good stuff hits you. I hope that I uh, do something that uh, uh, interests you or say something that kind of helps you to identify with these things. So our personal sanctification, which is what's going on here, is just that. It's a personal thing. But we are being watched. I've got to tell you, 45 years ago, 44 years ago, 43, more or less, somewhere around there. You know, you get so old, you, ah, give or take. But my wife and I had a house in Uvalde, and uh, we were regular church attenders. And we had a couple that lived right behind us, and we were, you know, close friends. They were Catholic. They, they didn't have anything to do with our church, but they knew we went to church all the time. But we never thought that they really watched us. Well, something happened one Sunday. I don't know what it was. Maybe one of our kids was sick, one of us might. But we rarely missed church. And at 11 o'clock, when we're usually gone already, because we'd go to Sunday school before that, this uh, couple called us up and they said, what's the matter? We said, what? They said, are you okay? I said, yeah, we are. Well, we noticed your car was still there. You didn't go to church today. I would, we, we, we were shocked. <laughs> we had no idea that they noticed. You know, you, you think, oh, you know, we go to church, nobody cares, nobody notices. You'd be surprised, there are people they know how faithful you are. They know how serious you take your faith. And we were just uh, shocked and amazed that they were uh, interested or even called us to care enough of what uh, they thought that there might have been something wrong. So as we become more sensitive to our limited time, we're aware of our sacrifices unto the Lord. Now, I got to tell you this. Uh, all of us have different levels of offering of a personal sacrifice. For most of us, I would say, it's really no big deal, I mean, for us to offer up. It's not a hard thing for you to get here today. But for some people, it is a hard thing for them to get to church. There's some people that serve God with such diligence and honor and reverence, they plow through a lot of personal discomfort and physical pain and other things. It just costs them more to get to church. To illustrate that, I told you about Fanny Crosby last week. She was a, a gifted Christian hymn writer. And uh, 
she was blinded shortly after her birth. I don't remember if it was a, a, a something uh, that happened with a doctor or if it was a, a disease or something that happened, but she had no memory of ever seeing anything. And uh, she lived, she died in 1915, born in 1920, she lived to 95, and right around the end of the 19th century, and this is a restricted part of church history that uh, most people unless you were part of this movement or you studied this movement, you wouldn't know that before the, uh, what we uh, commonly recognize as the modern Pentecostal outpouring, there were, uh, from the middle of the 19th century up to the end and the beginning of the 20th century, there was a lot of accentuation and emphasis on faith healing. And uh, people would even go to faith cure camps, they called them. They'd go to upstate New York, New England, and there'd be a week of services, and they'd pray for the sick. And, you know, reportedly there are some people that might have had something supernatural. And that's great. God can do anything, right? He can do anything, anytime. We know generally things like that may not happen. We take it for granted the fact that we can go to our doctor. The doctor takes care of everything. You got good insurance? Yeah, what do I need to go get prayed for? I just go to my doctor. He takes care of everything. But back in the end of the 19th century, things weren't like that. But... Here's the only thing I wanted to tell you. Somebody approached Fanny Crosby and said, hey, would you like to go to one of these deals? We could pray for you. Maybe God will give you back your eyesight. And she said, nah, I don't think so. She said, I think that I'd just as soon finish out my life like this so that when I get to heaven, my Redeemer will be the first one that I see. <laughs> That'll make you cry when you think about it. Jesus wants to be the first one that I'm going to see. And she wrote this hymn. The name of this hymn is My Savior, first of all. I'm just going to read you the first and the last verse. When my life's work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and his smile will be the first to welcome me. And the chorus goes, I shall know him, I shall know him, as redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the prince of the nails in his hand. She wrote this blind. Her whole life was a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And you know, we look at people like this and say, man, what a sterling, impeccable, impressive life for her to do what she did. Here's the last verse. Through the gates to the city in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where no tears shall ever fall. In the glad song of ages I shall mingle with delight. But I long to meet my Savior first of all. 1915, it happened for her. The first thing she saw with eyes was her Redeemer. And she knew who he was. Isn't that touching? I mean, you think about that. That's got to get to you, man. That's got to get to you. It gets to me. I hope some of it spills over on you. You know, hers was a life of sacrifice and inconvenience, but you'd never know it. And there's others. Oh, there's, there's so many others. Uh, most of you here have probably heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. What was she, 16, 17 years old, went diving, snapped a vertebrae, something in her neck, paralyzed from the neck down. Her life, what a sweet aroma of a living sacrifice. She paints with a paintbrush in her teeth. Have you ever seen some painting? What a glorious living sacrifice she is. <laughs> and there's others. <laughs> there's this guy, I don't know his name. He was born with no arms and no legs. 
and he's a preacher. They set him up on a deal and he preaches. He's got no arms and no legs. He's married and he's got kids. He's a good looking guy too. No arms and no legs. And you watch a guy like that and you say, how am I doing, Lord? We take so much for granted. We can see, we can hear, we can walk. But for those who can't, it costs them more to come to church. It costs them more to come to church and offer up a sacrifice of praise. That's when praise really is a sacrifice. When everything's not going right, maybe most things are going wrong. I think about that one-liner from Job. Though the Lord slay me, yet will I trust him. Yet will I praise him. Yet will I continue to worship him. It cost him something to do that. But he did. And uh, it worked out okay for him. I think it was James who said, uh, consider the end of Job. <laughs> you know, he said, oh man, oh, I don't want to go through that. Yeah, just look at what happened to him at the end. Consider the end of Job. So here's the, uh, here's the message. We see these people's lives. We can hear the life of Fanny Crosby, and she writes a hymn. I want to see my Savior, first of all. I don't even care if I see anything in this life. She's doing it right now. She's been up there over 100 years. No complaints from her. And one of these days, you'll get to meet her. But we see these people's lives, and we have to wonder, honestly now, Lord, how am I doing? Is my life a sufficient, pleasing, living sacrifice to you? Oh, Lord, I pray, Father, that your spirit would reveal to us what is pleasing in our hearts and lives and what is not pleasing to you. I pray, Father, that we would be teachable and have a heart with ears to hear. Lord, if there's an attitude that we've had that is less than pleasing to you, if we've taken for granted all the good things you've done for us, Lord, a lot of us here enjoying a comfortable retirement, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be mindful of what kind of aroma we're sending up, what kind of aroma has an effect on other people. And I pray, Master, that we would do this and our hearts would be teachable and touchable that your spirit could touch us, Lord, and make us more of what you want us to be. And we ask you this, Lord, all that we might glorify you and eventually hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, let it be. We ask you this in your name. Amen and amen.